Today's show is brought to you by Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash GOT and using the promo code GOT. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 2, titled The House of Black and White. I think it's pretty obvious what that title's all about. What do you think of this episode? I was going to avoid the obvious Michael Jackson black and white video joke, and then I literally had a black man dissolve into a white man, and I, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? What sure. are you going to do? You can't be blamed. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going there. Yeah. Um, so... I was kind of anxious about it, uh, my immediate reaction, after I've watched it a few more times. Uh, oh, you book readers. I know. Getting all anxious about things you don't have foreknowledge about. <laughs> the only thing I really have a problem with still is the Danny stuff. I just, yeah. it felt still clunky and very, it, it, it felt like a fairly black and white issue that they were wanting to, us to treat like it had a bunch of shades of gray. When it seems like there was room to inject some real grayness to this, you know, decision and and make it be, you know, work more on that level rather than just, you know, I feel like we're supposed to walk away from this episode thinking, whoa, Danny's in over her head. But, you know, it wasn't exactly a huge uh, matter of statecraft that she messed up on. I mean, I, I don't, I, that's just, that's just yeah, my... I, the, the way I saw it is she views it a little too black and white, uh, where maybe she needed to understand the grays of it a little bit. Sure. Uh, and she didn't, and it backfired on her. But it's like gray in the like house of cards since the word. Like the real politic thing to do would be to back her backers. Yeah, yeah. And solidate that, you know, consolidate that power. Yeah, who and... really cares if the 150 slavers... Right, who are happy anymore? Right, right, right. right. Far you more can, slaves. You know, the thing, nice thing about slaves. rich people, like uh, was pointed out to Batman in uh, Batman Begins, is they have so many things they can lose. So many things, you know, you think you lost a lot, but you still got your money and your houses your and your pyramids. fancy clothes. And we can, I can keep taking those from you one by one until you have nothing. And I can, you know, like you said, there's several hundred of them versus the many, many teeming thousands of Miranese. But I don't know. It's a tough. It's a tough plot because it's so complicated and there's so many wheels within wheels going on there at the book. And it's, uh, you know, Martin wrote about this Miranese knot that he created for himself where, you know, his his gardening storytelling led him to have Danny and Marine and all the interesting things happening on Westeros and be staying true to her character. How to bring these things together as inevitably they have it has to happen what, unless Danny's just going to fizzle out. Hmm. And, you know, his answer was 2,000 page books that kind of <laughs> carefully nudge things to where he needs uh-huh. to be. And I, you just can't do that in 10 hours of television. So sacrifices yeah. will have to be made. But, uh, you know, and I say that and, and uh, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that Danny even goes to Westeros at the end of all this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I need to say that just in case people are saying that I'm just assuming that that's a fact. Um, but no, I, that's, that's a problem. And I hope that they'd have a more elegant streamlined solution. And I feel like this is it is just, you know, shifting down in the low <laughs> gear and driving over some broken ground. And we're finally where we need to be. So here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I can forgive it every once in a while. Uh, it, it's a little jarring, but whatever, we'll get over it. 
And I'm sure the next episode will be great, as usual. It's just a shame. It seems like that's the one thing Danny they've had a lot of trouble with. Like, season two really was terrible for her. This season, (laughs) it's not been terrible. Last season was fantastic for her. Last season was great. And, uh, you know, she's had a lot of crowning moments of awesome. And this, she's got kind of like just a bunch of moments of being mired in stuff. So, sure. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's talk about who made it. Can yeah, and before that, I, I can I get a mechanical dragon on top of Marine in the credit sequence? Like that'd be nice. Yeah. To the extent of their alterations are switching a sigil and some particle effects when Winterfell was burning for like three seasons. Uh, <laughs> can I get like a mechanical Drogon ripping off the harpy on Marine? That's I, all I want. I don't think so, man. I, you don't even get the right cities anymore. Like I'm. <laughs> It's, they they showed Winterfell. They didn't go to Winterfell. No, uh-uh. uh, well, Winterfell, I don't know what's happening with that. Winterfell's got like I don't know what kind of deal it signed with the producers, but it's got like <laughs> it's it's got to be in every fucking credit does, sequence. Does it maybe represent Sansa or John, like just in spirit, not in location? Yeah, like even they show the eerie. I guess symbolizing Littlefinger's really alliance there, there but they're way far away from yeah. it. It seems like now, so yeah, I don't know. It's it, don't know. Th- there is. Some kind of uh, formula that we haven't figured out to what makes an appearance and what doesn't. And I, I don't think they showed Dorne, I- any city in Dorne. Yeah. In Have that... they ever shown Dorne? I'm not certain about that. Yeah. But I... this episode, they definitely didn't, even though we went there. This is the first time we've been there, so, like, what the fuck? We can't get a Dorne? Yeah. We can't get a Sunspear popping Maybe out of the ground? just not ready yet. No Water Guard? Maybe they're waiting for Sunspear, and this is the water. I, although, okay. I'm kind of shaky in my Dornish geography, honestly. Me too. Very mountainous and desert, and that's about all I know of it. All right, who made uh, this episode? Just like last week, it was directed by Michael Slovis, uh, and it was written by the Double Ds, David Benioff and Daniel Weiss, and... Uh, you know, it's it's. I see less connectivity between these two episodes than I do between the two episodes and the rest of the show. It's like I don't know where they have a director bible or what, but huh. uh, it just looked yeah. and felt and sounded like Game of Thrones. Okay, let's start with the recap. Arya is staring off into the the sunset here, or actually, she's staring at this giant statue that is at the entrance to Bravos, uh, and she ends up getting a boat tour. Uh, they drop her off at the House of Black and White. And she knocks on the door. Some old man answers, doesn't let her in. And then she just sits there for like at least a day. Mm-hmm. At least a full day she sits there repeating the names of the people she's going to kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, until she finally tosses her coin in the sea and walks off. Yeah. Do you... I've been thinking about the mechanics of how the iron coin works. And like okay. I... And, and I... When she kept it, like I thought she was going to like give it to the man... And payment for service because, you know, I kind of always imagined that these iron coins were something that these faceless men could, like, give to people as, like, if you know who we are, this is your coin to get a service from us in the future. And that's kind of like a father, uh, a favor from the godfather. It's extremely valuable. Uh-huh. And if you would go to the House of Black and White with these iron coins, maybe you could get them to take care of a problem for you, if you know what I mean. But now it's just, like, a badge. Mm. And is it, like, some combination of, like, say if Celebrity came and knocked on your window and said, hey, I need a ride 15 minutes downtown, and it's Tom Cruise, or it's... Well, it has to be someone a lot taller Scarlett than... Scarlett Johansson or something like that. It has like to be that. taller than Tom Cruise. I live on the second story, so... It's just like a... It's like you're just <laughs> impressed with how famous they are, and you do it, combined with they might kill you if you don't? Is that... <laughs> 
Really? Tom Cruise is going to kill me <laughs> if I don't? I mean, the fisherman seems yeah, like yeah. he loves so, these guys, but he's not really getting anything out of it. Maybe he does. Maybe behind the scenes they're helping him out. I don't, I don't know. Um, it seems that that is a way to identify people who are not just sympathetic, but maybe candidates for the, this shadow mm-hmm. society uh, themselves, the faceless mm-hmm. men. Uh, I, I think that's why... I don't know, because he gives the coin back to her at the end. That's what blew my mind. Yeah, which means that she... like th- This guy gave her the coin in the first place. Mm-hmm. So she must carry it around until she finds someone else to bring into the society, I guess. That's mildly interesting. I I mean, that's that's taken to the next level. Like, well, if it's not for this purpose, then what purpose is it for? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't... I don't know. It, it must it, be something like that because he got rid of his by giving it to her mm-hmm. and she can't get rid of it by tossing it into the sea. Sure. Maybe she has to give it to someone. Although he's probably got like a fucking bucket full right in the door, you know. It's Bra- like yeah, I, yeah. The, the way they shot that where you could see the camera <laughs> the, seemed like it was on a boat. This is like, uh, what is it, Bobby Fisher, that movie where he's handing out <laughs> yeah. the, the pieces of paper. The grand master, grand master, master points, now. Yes, yes. And he pulls them out of his briefcase. Yeah. Here, How many 50, do you want? I have 100. Uh, no, I, the way they shot that, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if like a hand popped out and snatched it like Lady in the Lake style. <laughs> And I also wasn't going to be surprised if, like, we followed it underwater. Because it almost seemed like it was uh, going to be a Jacques Cousteau underwater adventure thing. And there was going to be some weird dude down there. Oh, yeah. I like how the camera is kind of floating on the waves. Yeah. 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 Uh, but no. I, I, some could choose to believe that he jumped in the canal and fished it out. I just think they've got a whole... Yeah. Uh, it's... Like, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese coin token dispenser in there sure i think it's supposed to be mysterious like Mm. these people are supposed to be uh their abilities are not supposed to be necessarily clear yet sure um and i think that's part of it yes coin uh anyway i i noticed that bravos looks an awful lot like venice in a lot of places like maybe a medieval venice sure Uh, a lot of canals going through it and seems like boat is a good way to transport around that place it was honestly less seedier than i imagined i imagined it like darker and foggier and kind of more but it is like it's more like a big marketplace i guess i always viewed it in the lens of the faceless men and you know it's also got the iron bank of bravos and there's all kinds of professional guilds and it's a bustling Mm -hmm. you know very rich city so i guess it shouldn't surprise me there's more you know shining city on the hill than it was you know 1800s london on a bog river or something <laughs> so yeah it's it's kind of the the congregation of most of the wealth in westeros here right sure uh anyway i, I think it's really funny how she kind of frumps down on these steps just like right Ugh, fine right <laughs> and then she walks off she's like fuck this i don't need the coin i'm gonna do this myself yeah. i'm gonna go off and kill these people on my list I don't know if it was that, uh, because I thought she was going to be like, fuck off, too. But then it seemed like maybe she was just going to hunt some pigeons, get some drink, you know, get some water because she was exposed. Oh, and then come back. Yeah. Yeah, Like, you know, like you can only stay on the steps for so many days before you die of exposure. And that's not how a faceless man would do. No, but tossing her coin in the sea was an indicator of like, I'm done with this. Or maybe if I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 a good point. All right, let's move on. Podrick spots Littlefinger and Sansa in a pub, um, and and Brienne goes over and tries to get her to accept her protection. She turns her down, much like her sister did, and then Brienne fights her way out of the pub. They take off on horses, uh, and 
a roughly Return of the Jedi battle sequence ensues here. <laughs> uh, sure. I thought this was really cool. Um, it needed a little bit of action uh, this episode, and right. this was a good scene to do that with, especially when she has to make a choice between Podrick, like going after Pod and saving him versus following Littlefinger and Sansa. Sure. Although, I think she's going to. She kind of does both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could tell, like, you know, I don't like this guy. He's just going to slow me down. He's and clearly And she was useless. trying to tell him to go away. I don't need you anymore sure. right before this. So now it's like, well, I guess I'll go save him. Uh, there's a lot to this these collection of scenes other yes. than Brian going outlaw, chopping a log in half with a sword, chopping a, <laughs> a, a man in half, chopping a sword in half. She chops everything, yeah. She pulls the Duke boys routine on Sir Roscoe and Sir Enos of House Hog. Uh, by you know backing in the thing and then they come roaring by and she's if, if her if her if only her horse could spin its wheels you, the yeah. the illusion would be complete. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting things between Littlefinger and Sansa. Uh, she's asking him about what that Raven message was about, and he's like, "Oh, it's good news. I my marriage proposal's been accepted." And she says, "I thought you were mourning the death of my aunt. What do you make of that, Jim?" Uh well. I feel like there's a farce here that everyone understands. Like, I don't think Sansa ever believed that he was in love with uh, the lady up at the area. I don't know sure. Uh, Catelyn's sister. So she knows what's up, but I feel like she's just kind of, you know, trying to get him to reveal stuff by pointing out those obvious things. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I thought you were in love with my sister. What What's going on here? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure who who he's marrying. Does he say that in that scene? He does not. I didn't think so. Let me and I, again. I must stress: none of this has happened in the books yet. Okay, so it, it, I, can, I was very surprised. I can by it. I can speculate. Mm-hmm. What if he's talking about her marriage proposal? <laughs> like he's made a wheel. He's made a wheel and deal for her. Ooh, did she, so? Are you saying that she asked for this, or that she no, is going to? I be... think she's. I don't know. I don't know what reaction. I don't know uh, who it's going to be. Uh, I've got some ideas of where they could. So he's start implying some of this stuff that but... in the future she will ask for this. Is that right? Why? Why are you saying that he's? Uh, what's, where's I'm going off your theory. From? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that this is a marriage proposal from Sansa. No, no, no! That he got that oh. he has made without her knowledge. He has made some kind of horse trading deal with somebody for something. Oh, okay, to marry her off to someone. Yeah, else not. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. Presumably, that would put her beyond the reach of Cersei, which still is kind of mind blowing to me. Where that? Well, could I be wonder in now after seeing this episode if that isn't Dorn. With the way that they're protecting Marcella, so it would be a swap. They get Marcella, Jamie gets Marcella out, they slap Sansa in. Although, I mean, the whole idea of marrying Marcella was to kind of secure peace with Dorne, something they need. I don't don't know that swapping Sansa for Marcella solves that problem. Yeah, probably not. Uh, But it is an interesting theory. I I mean, mean, north of the wall is another place, but that seems crazy. And who, like, this time. And also, like, Peter wouldn't, uh, Littlefinger wouldn't value any kind of marriage alliance with someone north of the wall, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I mean, unless he thinks he can lead the northern armies, but right. the wildlings, I doubt it. So, I don't know. There's a lot of other good stuff, like Podrick spotting Littlefinger only because he's perving yeah. on this barmaid. He's the power of his his horn dog powers. <laughs> his his Westeros famous pod yep. the rod abilities. Good stuff. Good stuff. I also I still I, have a slight problem with this scene. I, I also love the fact that Brienne just flopped with Sansa the same way she flopped with Arya, just on the strength of her resume. Like, uh-huh. 
it's so funny watching her tell the truth and how ridiculous that seems. A face with a shadow. Oh, a or face a shadow with a shadow. With a face. And the way Littlefinger yeah. can play that, too. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he was kind of kinda there. Like, he was kind of sort of a firsthand witness. And yeah, Sansa and with her own her failures, eyes, you know. Sansa with her own eyes saw Brienne, you know, bowing and scraping before Joffrey and his new queen, which I think Brienne did as good a defense of herself as she could. But mm-hmm. still, still, Sansa is salty. She She's has very right salty about that. Yeah. I, and I think it's especially effective when Littlefinger says, you know, she was supposed to protect your mother. She didn't do that. And She's got that swank ass Lannister sword. At uh-huh. her side, I mean, it just doesn't look Hilarious good. Steel. No, it doesn't look good. Definitely doesn't. She might need to file off the ears on the, you know, do something else. Make it a gold snake or something. I don't know what you do <laughs> with the uh, the lion head. Turn it to a wolf. There you try, go. Try to get a smith House to. Stark, yep. There you go. It's golden golden wolves because the Starks are all about golden wolves. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can maybe you can gild it with something, some other kind of metal. Sure. Jamie's got the gilded steel hand that looks like gold. Right. You could gild this with. Uh, Steel, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I, I have a slight problem with the arrangement here and the timing and everything. Okay. The, Brienne and Podrick are essentially on foot because they only have one horse. Yeah. Littlefinger and Sansa have a carriage and ten knights all on horseback. Yeah. And you're telling me that these people on foot end up at the same pub as a caravan all on horseback. Yeah, I was, I've been trying to... When when we've seen them, they're already behind. It's not yeah. like they were ahead and the carriage caught up. Yeah. I mean, I I try to think that through the last two days, and what I come up with is that Pod and Brienne left the Erie well in advance of Sansa and Littlefinger. They met up, like, say... But like, we know that's like not a, true because they watched them go by. Well, but that I the way Brian said something about I saw them on the road and she implied it that it was like less than a day's ride, like much less, like maybe, you know, a couple hours ride before they got here. So mm-hmm. it's like they passed and caught up and then stopped at the inn and then Brian and them caught up. So I just don't, I don't know think how they pass with someone on foot. Yeah, but you've got situations where people are riding from the wall to King's Landing in like a day in this show. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not the only time. Problem. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Millennium okay. Falcon warping from one side of the galaxy to the other. It's like so you're, you're saying these are not the droids you're looking for. Exactly. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never mind the plot holes. Uh, it's because dragon magic. Dragon magic. All right. Happen. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Mil- I'm sure Melisandre was involved. Sure. Um, Not just shadow vaginas. She's a world class travel agent. We can- we kind of talked in the the instant cast about why Brienne reacts the way she does here and fights her way out. I think I, I think that still holds. On second um, viewing, it does. I I completely missed the fact that. She- that guy was moving to stop her. Like, you can't leave without our lords when she... Yeah, and she elbows him in the face. Yeah, yeah. Takes him out. It's still, like... Who wins? Like, so... Because that's kind of a renegade outlaw move to make, but she's also on an official mission from Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if she was accosted by some other minor lord that's upholding the king's justice, and Littlefinger says, hey, this woman chopped up all my dudes and tried to make off with my lady friend here and she goes but i'm on a mission from jamie lannister it's like does that get her out of her neck out of a noose does that buy her enough time does that's the scary thing i when, don't know when that, that letter comes to king's landing and jamie's fucking around in dorn and cersei yeah. opens it she's how like, many <laughs> cups of wine has she had that day does she remember who br- i mean like that's yeah 
that's what I was worried about, that this kind of puts her in a roguish territory in the eyes of a lot of people, which is not going to make her cause any easier. Definitely, and I would just say I would not feel very comfortable with the knowledge that I'm on an official mission from Jamie <laughs> if I were Brienne. I don't right. think that's enough to save you, given the way communication works in this and world. And the way Jamie works. Like, he's... Yeah. I mean, we like him a lot more, but he's still, like, you know, his sister said, a man of action, half-cocked. Does he remember he sent Brienne on this mission? <laughs> Does he remember Brienne? <laughs> yes. Like, I, I had a father once. I remember him. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I don't know if uh, Tyrion would recognize Podrick anymore. Has he lost a bunch of weight? It looks like Pod has slimmed down significantly. I don't think so. I think he's always been kind of that level of stocky. Really? I felt like last season he was he was bigger, but maybe not. Maybe it's just padded armor or something. Who knows? Must have been all the uh, calisthenics and uh, Littlefinger's whorehouses. Probably. So after receiving a snake statue with Marcella's necklace It's like the opposite it, of a lifetime membership to a buffet. It's a lifetime gym membership? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Okay. It's a, it, it uses all those uh, uh, seldom-used muscle groups. Sure. Works yeah. out those hard-to-reach areas. So we go back to Cersei, and she's got a snake statue on her table with Marcella's necklace on it. And Jamie sees it and decides he's going to go to Dorne to get their daughter back, but he's not going alone. I would like to see the deleted scene of Cersei putting that box back together. Because clearly she <laughs> popped it, saw the threat, and then Rubik's cubed it back together for Jamie to pop again. Yes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Unless she didn't know what was in it, but I can't imagine that. No, like, you know, I'm going to wait to open this before Jane. No, I, I just thought that was, it was it made for an impressive visual, but the second I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah, I, man, I'm feeling bad for Jamie in this scene, once again, because Cersei is laying all the blame for everything that's happened with their kids at his feet. Because it's just what his father Because did. he won't admit something that would, like he says, get them killed in the first place. It's like... But that is kind of a dodge because Jamie in season one was not at all interested in being a father to anybody. That's true. That's true. So some of this is he protests a bit too much. But uh, some I'll, of it, but there is some valid criticism in there, and too. And he's new Jamie, too. He's, okay. you know, put aside the whole queen, queen raping business. Uh, he's a lot more sympathetic character. He's a lot more self-centered. Losing his arm has changed him in a lot of fundamental ways. And now yeah. I think he is thinking about these things. In a different way. I mean, sitting in a cell for however long, you know, months and months could could make that change. And you lose your hand on top of it. Sure. It seems like he his mission here is to sneak in and get their daughter back and bring her back with him. I Because he doesn't want an army. So obviously mm -hmm. he wants to go in covertly. Uh, Splinter Cell, Dorn. That pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to Braun then, who is skipping stones while uh, Lawless, I think is her name, mm -hmm. just natters on about some dumb shit that he doesn't care about. Uh, Jamie shows up and promises him a much better girl and a much better castle if he accompanies him to Dorne. Sure. As as south as south goes. Uh, Bethany P. asked us for a recap of where we last left Bronn. And it was with Tyrion in the dungeon. But just like just briefly, you know, in season two, he's the guy that that uh, sent the flaming arrow into the wildfire that exploded all Stannis' ships. He was rewarded for uh, with a knighthood for that, and he became Sir Bronn the Blackwater. Yeah, but he didn't have any like castles or holdings or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Then he mentioned when he visited uh, Tyrion in the dungeons last year that his sister Cersei had paid him off or bribed him with this. Stokeworth lands. Yeah, not to fight in his tribal. Knowing combat. that that Lawless was 
Uh, her sister was barren, so if anything were to happen to her untoward, he would inherit all those lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, he promised Tyrion that if anyone ever made a, uh, an offer, I would give you a chance to match it. And of course, Tyrion couldn't. Mm-hmm. So that's where we, he's he is taken possession of Cersei's bribe, and then uh, <laughs> Jamie comes and undoes all that. Which I do you buy it in, in Bronze character that he's just going to let Jamie write up and say, yeah, all this shit is gone. It's gone, and you got to do a dangerous mission with me to get something maybe better. Uh, and also, it's dubious. I mean, like the Lannisters always pay their debts, but he just fucked him. So they also lie a lot. Yeah, they do. It, they it do. seems like if I'm Bronn, what choice does he really have though? At this point, like, is he going to go back to King's Landing and just be Sir Bronn? What is he going to do without the castle and the woman that he wants, you know? And he can't just, like, I... Like, this offer is better than nothing, I think. I mean, what's interesting is, for most of the realm, Jamie is this big bluff that no one knows about. Like, he's lost his arm, but everyone's kind of unsure. Is he still the baddest sword in Westeros? Braun yeah. knows firsthand that he could kick his ass easy. Yeah. But I don't think you can just murder him and get away with it. Murder Jamie? Yeah. No. I well, don't I mean, think like so if either. you were if you were in the north, you might be able to do that. Or if you were mm. in the Erie, you might be able to do that. But I believe the Stokeworths are right in the Crownlands. It's like you know in the back door of King's Landing, so you okay. couldn't just murder the king's brother and get away with it. I wouldn't think so. But he didn't seem he was less displeased than I thought he would be. L- like I said, he doesn't have much choice here. Yeah, he can be a nobody with nothing, or he can trust jamie just one more time Mm -hmm. and see if it pays off again uh it's great scene though it's funny uh i really like him is essentially promising this uh lawless that he's going to murder his sister and her not (laughs) she she likes it i she's happy about that so you think in some way you think she gets the threat because she seems a little dumb to me i don't know first of all she looks a lot like kale the snail from It's Always Sunny. <laughs> a lot. Won't be the first Always Sunny reference we make this podcast. No? Spoiler alert, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, she, so when he suggests that mean sisters get what's coming to them, she definitely smiles, and she's happy about that. Does she infer what he's actually saying? Yeah. I'm not sure. I think she's taking this as the karma. Like you he's going to go pull her hair or of, something. Or or just that she'll something bad will happen, and she's a good person, and she'll be rewarded for being virtuous. Yeah. That that Fookin stuff. Uh, but I, I really like then, like, because, you know, speaking of Tom Cruise, Jamie Lannister is like the Tom Cruise of Westeros. He he's, is. She's completely starstruck when she and, sees him. And, and he's super good looking, and he's also the best swordsman, and he's a Kingsguard. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, like, there's all the stuff. And, yeah, I liked seeing... Because you don't really see that aspect of the Lannister mystique. The fact that, often, yeah. that him and Cersei are like consensus one of the best looking people in Westeros. Sure. So, oh, before we move, mm-hmm. just there, there was a very sly wink to book readers when Jamie mentions that uh, uh, Lawless and her castle is going to go to Willis, Sir Willis Bracken, that I'll talk about in the spoiler cast coming out Friday. But okay. uh, it took me the second time watching it and then looking up that that house bracken to to get it. But hmm. uh, it's my belief that was a little bit of a wink to us. All right. I have no idea what that could be. Anyway, we go to Dorne. Then I've done my job. And Alaria is trying to talk Dorne into going to war with the Lannisters or at least letting her cut off Marcella's fingers <laughs> and send them to Cersei. Uh, but he refuses. He's a little too smart for that. Yeah, and he Ob- understands the consequences of that. And I get that she's angry, but even Oberyn wouldn't do that. 
I mean, he made it a point no. of saying, oh. the, we're Dorn, we're better than you. Like, sinking to their level for vengeance isn't what he would advocate doing. Yeah, and I, I kind of like this scene when it when it's compared with what Danny is doing. And, you know, the idea later on that the law is the law. This guy understands the trial by combat is something that Oberon, Oberon opted into. Yeah. Uh, that it's not something to really seek retribution for. To, to get vengeance for um it was kind of it was kind of fair the way it happened right he's not happy about it but he knows better than to go starting wars or picking fights with lannisters at this point i think it's interesting that you know prince doran seems very physically different from oberon is he in a medieval wheelchair he is in a, and and okay. they they also talked about uh, tywin came in and talked asked about him last season during the purple wedding and said uh, uh-huh. asked about him and said is how's he doing with this gout or that's like a rich man's disease or something i forget exactly who brought it up yeah he's got, got like foot problems i'm not exactly sure what it is but he's very hmm. laid up and he's he's very physically lame yeah but as far as his disposition i think it's an open question about does he share more of his brother's uh, if or he only he... had a tricorder, man, he could just fix all of that. Because <laughs> that's the thing. Like he, as the eldest brother, he's had to be the statesman, where his brother could be more the rogue, yeah, and piss people off and all that. But you know, and it's just like he was saying, it's it's you know, oh, the people of Dorne want blood and war. Well, it's a good thing that they don't get to make the decision. It's mine because he seems like he mm-hmm. has uh, a lot of duty that he feels towards his people, and he seems very intelligent too, um, understanding the way that this world works except when he says not while i rule that is the downfall of any king anywhere (laughs) is to say something will not happen while i rule yeah that's essentially equivalent to a cop talking about being two weeks away from retirement (laughs) yes exactly it's not something you want to say especially in a show like game of thrones so that is no that is something uh to be worried about I did like I I did like Alexander. I think it's Sadiq. I don't know exactly how to say it. I don't want to just call him Doctor Julian Bashir, even though that's kind of the thing we do. Just I just yeah. want to give him the respect of trying to pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't seen him in anything since that, and I Me thought either. he really. Uh, I, I think he really filled filled the bill as far as uh, living up to kind of the billing of Oberon's maybe a little bit more measured brother. I think so, yeah. Uh, But, you know, you could tell, too, that he's a man of passion. Like, it's everything he can do not to come out of this wheelchair and declare war is how I uh, uh, took it. Absolutely. But that's probably the thing that the Lannisters would want him to do as well. Could be. Uh, The other thing that I noticed in this scene is the mention of sand snakes. Uh, They seem to be some kind of sons of the harpy-esque sort of thing but they're they're on the side of the government mm-hmm. in, in a lot of in a lot of ways but now they're on the side of the people it seems mm-hmm. um in regard to this specific issue i think they're like mercenaries or something i think this is the first time we've heard them mentioned in the show i think they were mentioned last year but i'm not sure what connection was made to them so i'm just gonna mm-hmm. say it's all mildly interesting okay uh and i'm i'm intrigued by your, your I, theories at least i don't think that's the last we'll hear of them okay <laughs> I think that's a given. That's that's pretty pretty solid. Yeah. Pretty solid speculating there, Jim. So Dario leads Grey Worm toward a suspected uh, son of the Harpies' house while lecturing him about the tactics of finding people and how you get information and you know don't don't be so obvious about it. Be yeah. more like Dario. Se- Seppenwall <laughs> said this is a very uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 
um, Sherlock right. Holmes thing. Yeah. Like, it's elementary, dear Watson. Stab the thigh! <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, so when they go in the house, Grey Worm doesn't find the guy hiding in the wall because he has no fear. Mm. But Dario does, and so he finds him. And they find a mask in the wall, which proves that this guy is one of the Sons of the Harpy. Yeah, that was very Inglorious Bastards, too. Yeah, The totally. whole, you know, you have to, if, if, if you don't fear, you don't think like these types of people, uh, mm-hmm. then you won't be able to see it. And he was right, astonishingly so. Yeah, I don't think that there is a ton to talk about in this scene. It's all fairly straightforward. Uh, do you think the Grey Worm is... It looks like Grey Worm is surprised by his lack of ability to find these people. Do you think that's going to change him at all? I don't know, because, you know, Grey Worm, if you really think about him and all the Unsullied, they were little boys that were then trained to be soldiers. And that's the thing, like, professional soldiers are really shit at anything else. You want them to be a peacekeeping force... You want them to investigate shit? Do you want them to yeah. kill lots of people efficiently? They can do that. Sure. They can do that. Uh, but but the other stuff, historically, they're not so good at. And I think part of that is like a dan- – like she got a she got an army for conquest and conquering. Mm-hmm. And what she needs right now is a peacekeeping force. And yeah. what do you what do? You, do? Um, you know, that's something that great powers and countries have, have – uh, spend a lot of time and energy thinking about. I don't think anyone's got it quite right yet, but it would be interesting to see him have a little personal development because he is just that little boy and he doesn't have any life skills beside that. His relationship with Miss Sandy is interesting for that reason too. Cause like, yeah. what is his fascination with her? Knowing That's that he a doesn't really have a, a penis or balls mm-hmm. uh, or testicles. If I'm going to get clinical <laughs> stones and pillar, please to put in her uh, vulva, her vagina, <laughs> her vaginal barrel. Okay. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know what, what trajectory that's going to send him off in, but it was certainly interesting. It's going to give him something to think about, Mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, what do you think about Barristan being that guy? Could Barristan be the guy who's the peacekeeper or is he trained more for combat as well? Well, that's a really great parallel too, is that I think he means well and he's got the wisdom of seeing it done a lot of different ways, mostly terribly, but he... (laughs) You got to think when he starts running his mouth, he sounds a lot like Ned Stark. And that's not a bad thing, in my opinion. It's not a bad thing, but it's also, I, I it, it seems like to be a successful politician, you have to have a little bit more Frank Underwood in you than Ned Stark, and a little more Littlefinger, and and, and maybe yeah. like you can try to be more altruistic than that, but you have to wheel and deal and make hard decisions and not just go down the middle every single time because yeah. that's just going to piss everyone off. And there's also like, you know, um, and it's it's hard to talk about this in ways that doesn't like, you know, I already had an inbox full of people like with problems as far as, you know, is this a racist depiction of a primitive people or or is this like, and it's like, I just feel like if we like the city of Atlantis popped back out of the ocean and they were still keeping slaves and doing Greco-Roman trial by combat and practicing human sacrifice. And we went in there and we said, y'all got to stop this. That, you know, it's like, I, I feel like that there's this uh, universal sense that like the humanist secularist slash Judeo-Christian slash whatever is like the only way to be. And it just like makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is like, you know, I, I fully subscribe to all those values. But if you look at the world and the things that go on it in terms of the darker side of humanity and just like how animals behave, where it's 
yeah, you know, bloody and brutal, and you 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 take what you can get. Uh, you could come up with an equally valid worldview saying that you know the might does make right, and oppression of the Certainly. weak is. Uh, what's only natural? Yeah, the, you only the, have the to limitations go, are yeah. put on our on us by ourselves. Yeah, we're we're trying to be better than that. And I, you've also got to wonder: is it even other people's place to tell that society that they can't be that way? Right. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems like that's something that people should do, but going about it, like it's you're going to have yeah. for those for those first few generations that have had experience with the old way and not the new way you're going to have to have a really firm hand, but mm. also, you know, it's like this, everything this uh, former slave said about these masters raised me to understand them and they only understand brutality and bloodshed. He's not wrong. Yeah. And he, it, I, I even felt like it was really interesting when he said, look, look, Dan, look, look, uh, Misa, I saw your hands were tied. I knew what you wanted to do, mm. but you're doing all this law stuff. So I helped you out. Like, that is actually very progressive of an understanding from his point of view. Okay, but it's a problem from her justice and freedom point of view. It is. And again, like, there are and no those, easy answers to these questions. Certainly. Like, no. it, unless you're like a literal god that's omniscient and om, om, omnipotent, mm-hmm. where you can just force your will by fiat and, and strike people down for thought crime. <laughs> I mean, there's, there, you're just going to have a rough few generations of getting this thing the way you want it to be. Yeah, you can't. You don't change people's minds by de- delivering force. No, you change people's minds by understanding them and working with them, and that's a much more difficult thing to do. But but you do wonder if she would be better off of just killing all of the slavers literally. So you have you know any one people are going to have different thoughts and feelings, and and they're going to be at different spectrums of what they want out of life and how kind of justice and mercy they want. But when you're dealing with that in two different, very different classes of people, it is an open question about whether she shouldn't have just put them all to the sword. Sure. And started over with her people. Yeah, that's a fair question. I think... That's horrific. If there's but... one thing that all of the slaves can rally around, the former slaves can rally around, is the the vengeance upon their former masters. Sure. Um, even then, you might run into some small problems with people thinking, wow, that's a fucked up way to handle this. Sure. But I think that problem is going to be less of a problem than what she's currently in. And if she's kind of she when she now. says stuff like the law is the law. Well, the law was we were slaves and you said ignore that and kill all these guys. Here's the thing. And tell so what is that mean? The even? person making the laws saying the law is the law is uh-huh. bullshit. Yeah. Who makes the laws? Who makes those laws that you are so worried about upholding? Well, it's you. You are the law, and I just told sure. you that, and you don't you refuse to believe it. I yeah, I I don't know how I feel about Danny's reasoning abilities here. She makes a huge mistake at the end mm-hmm. uh by beheading this guy, I think. But this goes back to season two Varys's kind of hypothesis is like, you know, his parable about the the sword, the the cell sword, the politician, and the priest, who has the power. And that's what Danny is struggling with. She thought she had power, and I think it did play out interesting if you could think of her as like this child empress that she was genuinely shocked. Like she expected people to not be happy or maybe to be shocked, but the instant turn from Misa to it really shook yeah. her to her core. And I thought that, you know, that's what's the great thing about the show is it asked a lot of these questions and there are not like clearly right or clearly wrong answers for those things. It's just, 
what's going to be what if you're trying to mitigate misery what do you do well one step that she took that i like is that she put after she had uh his dar come into her council somehow mm -hmm. she also put a former slave in the council right and i think that was a smart thing to do sure to at least balance those two opinions no and I, views of her society. small council is pretty good and she seems yeah. pretty wise about putting similar small councils around you know the rest of slavers bay so she's got yeah. the right ideas it's just is she gonna be able to get in front of some of these crises fast enough I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, so we, we've kind of talked about this scene where all of the advisors are arguing about what to do here. Um, I, I don't know. There's this... Barristan sticks around and, and convinces her, I guess, that she should be merciful here until, you know, the, the other former slave goes and does what he does. Mm -hmm. Kills that guy. Yeah, he told her about the Mad King, which is, you know, kind of uh, her father. And I thought that was... Uh, a commentary on their relationship that he felt comfortable enough to speak this frankly about her family. Okay. You know, to say that like your father your, was a mad king. Your father was. Yeah. <laughs> like use that words over and over again. Uh -huh. He was crazy. He did evil things. Um, and it's just, you know, you could tell that he was desperate to try to reach her because he does not want to come over all this way with his last hope of finding honor and then have it turn to ash in his mouth. Certainly. So then we go to Tyrion and Varys, who are traveling to Volantis, we find out, while Varys delivers a sort of pep talk to Tyrion. I don't sure. know. Tyrion's literally trying to drink himself to death on the road to Marine. Uh, and Tyr Tyrion is feeling shitty about himself, and Varys is trying to say, hey, you were good at something. You were really good at that governing thing. But it just didn't work out because, you know, other things transpired. Uh, there's... <laughs> There are a lot of good lines in here. I, I love when Tyrion's like, oh, she should offer her cunt, the best part of her for, for the, the best, best part of me. my head, yeah. <laughs> Although, having said that, I got to say, out of all the road shows we've seen, you know, we had Bronn and Tyrion, then we've had Arya and the Hound, and then we've had Jamie and Bronn. Well, not really Jamie and Bronn, but Jamie and Brienne. Yeah. We're about to get Jamie and Bronn, which has a lot of promise. Mm -hmm. Varys Tyrion's not as entertaining as I would thought. Like there's something a little, I I'm I'm not it, it's they're more commiserate they're like commiserating over being outsiders you know they're just bitchier they are certainly uh I I don't know I didn't find I didn't have a problem with it I plus maybe it. maybe the other thing is that I really like Tyrion and see him just kind of wallow the way he is is yeah. painful could be uh but yeah that that could be a possibility as well so. Vera says that the the road to Marine is at Volantis. Uh -huh. I seriously doubt that that is literal. I think <laughs> he's going to meet up with someone who can help them get to Marine. I, I think he's got something else up his sleeve that is not necessarily like, oh, well, here's the start of the road that takes us to Marine. Literally, like exit here for Marine. Yeah, yeah I don't. I don't think so. No, I think uh, it's, he's meeting with someone as he tends to do. Definite mild interest there. Sure. He's got he's got his uh, feelers out. All right, he's. he's Calling in favors. Okay. Anyway, Cersei's delivered uh, the head of the wrong dwarf, and Kyburn takes it for some foul purpose in his <laughs> dungeon. Did you see laboratory? The, did you see the body this time around? Because I know you didn't on the I instant did. cast. Yeah. Okay, it's under the sheet. Sure. There's a there's a there's a big body under a big white sheet. He's taking his sweet ass time resurrecting this guy if he's going to do that. I'm saying like he's probably just there rotting. 
Frankenstein was working with with buried body parts. All I'm saying, it's true. <laughs> you know, like true. I don't know if there's an expiration date on that shit. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, I mean, look at those ice zombies up north of the wall. I mean, they're just they're preserved. Not they're refrigerated bones. Yeah. So then Cersei goes into uh, the the hand of the king's chambers, their meeting chambers. I don't I don't know exactly what room this is, but uh, she's promoting people to different positions of importance. Until Kevin puts the kibosh on it and heads off to Casterly Rock to wait for the real authority to contact him, the king. Uh, every Everybody here is very suspicious of Cersei, and I think rightfully so. Uh, but Th- wait, it, but th- it seems like uh, Star Wars guy. I can't can't think of his name. Marjorie's father uh, is is a little overjoyed by his position. He he's kind of won over by. Well, oh, I would. I would Mace gladly Ty- be the yeah, Mike, the master Mace Tyrell, of coin. Sure, yeah. No, I I think like that's the thing. Like nobody is suspicious of Cersei. They're all consumed with their own place in the world. Like until she mentions Kyber and like being well, that's what I'm saying. The but that master of whispers or whatever it is. That that's that's uh, um, the Grand Master uh, Pycelle. That's him more being pissed off that this up jump start is on the council and that True. diminishes his power. Than he is that really like this guy is just a terrible choice for the small council. Um, well, I mean, is there is that, in that but I think it's mostly uh, his again, his personal power. The only one that seemed like yeah. he just wants to serve the realm is Kevin Lannister, which is why he's like, peace out. I'm yeah. I wait. The, I will wait the king's <laughs> leisure at Castle Rock. Yeah. Have the king call me if he needs anything. Yeah. Uh, I, man, I love to see Cersei just getting shit on. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. And when a guy with as much gravitas and probably authority as Kevin has, being the king, the former hand of the king's brother, mm-hmm. uh, I think I, I I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's an open question because there's nothing like, she can really do because she is there without his consent. Right, right. You can tell. I mean, like that's one open question: is how good is Kevin Lannister? Uh, like, would this single-handedly save the realm if he would be the hand of the king or take a personal mm-hmm. interest in here? Uh, you know, because he's always been the 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 second uh, or the younger brother of Lord Tywin, mm-hmm. who's pretty much ran the continent for a good chunk of history. So, you know, it's like you get reports of him being steady and reliable, but he's never been the one to call the shots. Uh, but I feel like in this scene, they're really showing that he's got a lot of the same metal that Tywin had. Maybe he does. Maybe even superior because since he hasn't been in this position of authority um, and having to try to like be consumed with his with with his family's glory and power, maybe he could be like all the positive things with Tywin. Uh, he's he's kind of like a Tyrion, all the positive things with Tywin with more compassion and mercy and yeah, altruism. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it seems like it certainly. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that this scene does is it tells us firmly where Varys stands at this point with King's Landing. Varys is on the lamb just as much oh, as yeah. as Tyrion is. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure about that after last season, after the finale. I, I didn't know if, you know, he just took some kind of leave and went and secretly helped Tyrion or if he actually ran away like Tyrion did. Sure. Now it's clear he did run away. She's yeah. appointing people to his old position. I felt like it was fairly well suggested that was the case, but you're right. This is the first confirmation that, like, nope, he's gone. He's been replaced. Yeah. He's a wanted man. Totally. Uh, we go over to the wall where Shireen is teaching Gilly to read, and Gilly is kind of feeling bad because she can't read nearly as well as Sam, and he's kind of 
kind of putting a lot of pressure on her to hurry it up, getting impatient. Mm-hmm. Gilly then tells a story about her sisters having grayscale, um, as as you know, Shireen calls it. Mm-hmm. They don't have a name for it north of the wall, apparently. But uh, Celise comes in and tells Shireen to stay away from that horrible, horrible wildling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a big question here. Okay. Why is John referred to as Ostrich Stark? <laughs> it's not John. That's it's it's uh it's and it's not Ostrich Stark. It's some other guy. But he was the youngest Lord Commander at ten years old. Which it's not John. It, no. I thought it was heavily implied in this episode or in this scene that it's John. No, I think this was a little bit of foreshadowing that like you've got this youngest Lord Commander, and in the books, John's like sixteen. In the show, it seems like he's twenty in his early twenties. Mm. But still. Like, you know, some people might be watching a show and thinking there's no fucking way that this boy is going to be promoted to the Night's Watch. And then it's like, oh, well, you think that's mind blowing? A 10 year old got to lead the wall at some point, which yeah. that's always crazy to me. Like I'm reading what, what life experience could a 10 year old possibly have to educate him enough to be a leader of of men. I don't know, man, but I, I read like Patrick O'Brien, some age of sale fiction. And this stuff has historical precedent where you have. Boys of four and five manning guns on fighting ships and then becoming corporals and lieutenants at like 11 and 12 and leading men in boarding charges and shit. So it's like, you know, I think kids are a lot more capable. Like we maybe have gone overboard the other way. Like, it's like, well, that's horrific. You can't send a five-year-old to work in a factory and get chewed up by gears. Can't send him off to war. I feel like in this society, we might have gone like overboard that like, you read stuff like that and you think kids are really a lot more capable yeah, yeah. than you think of. And now you get kids, you know, parents arrested because their children, they let their children walk a half a mile to a park. Yeah, and or take like, the subway in New York when they're 12 years old. Like, come on. Yeah, like, I think we've gone way too far the other way. And, you know, that's the way society works as a pendulum swing. And eventually, hopefully, we'll get to, uh, you know, a half happy meeting before an asteroid comes and takes us out. But... Yeah, no, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, no, I think that was just to set up the fact that John has a chance to win this election because they are compressing sure. the shit out of all these plots, man. At any right. time they can put a little crumb to the audience, it's like, it's okay. It's okay. This can really happen. Trust us. I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, this scene is pretty straightforward. You know, it's, it's Gilly ask, learning to read. Let it's, me ask you this. Yeah. Why spend all this time talking about grayscale? I don't know, man. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter. At all. I mean, we've known about Shireen having this for like three seasons now. Yeah. So there's a good bit of time describing not just because I guess this grayscale is kind of like cowpox and smallpox. There's like a less virulent form that if you get as a kid, you, you know, it might fuck you up and disfigure you, but you're going to be you can't get it later on in life. Hmm. Or like if you get it as an adult, it kills you. You know, they mentioned that she was cured somehow. Yeah. I mean, I. There could be some magic involved there. I don't know. Um, right. But yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it works. Although their Maester Crescent was pretty staunchly anti-magic. He's okay. the guy that got one of the ones that early... Oh, he's the one that drank the cup of poison that he meant for Melisandre. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's it's interesting. And I just wonder if you had any ideas about why they would spend so much time on this piece of plot. If I had to guess, they are trying to endear the daughter uh shireen to the wildlings and to the people at the night's watch for some future purpose okay and i obviously i have no idea what that is not being a book reader um, sure but that that seems like what they're doing with this story like we have something in common 
All right. Mildly interesting. Mildly interesting. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. Uh, Stannis is not having much luck finding people who will follow him. He accuses Jon Snow of the high treason of showing mercy. He did, God damn it. That's, he not a, that's not a Stannis platform he's running on. Not at all. <laughs> but he decides to offer to release Jon from his vows and give him the Stark family name if he leads the Northern armies for him, essentially. And then in the scene right after that, we see Jon telling Sam he's not going to take that offer. Yeah. Uh, first of all, there was a really cool thing that's straight from the book about this little girl who's now running the uh, Bear Island, uh, Bear Island, which is the home of Jorah Mormont and also the okay. old bear that re- used to run the Night's Watch. Hmm. Um, so that she's basically sending him a raven message of a middle finger, saying yeah, yeah. we only know one king and his name's Stark. I thought yeah. that was really cool, as was John's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, what did you think of John turning down this? Off? I, I thought the offer was awesome. And, the offer's amazing, and and you—it's what see, he's always wanted. You can see on Kit Harrington's face that I thought he played it really well. It's like this. It's like he's almost spinning a little bit. He's he's so happy. Did he's too think- honorable. He is too honorable a man, and and too. So I feel like. Part of this is to honor his father. You know, his father was a very honorable man who did not break his word. Uh-huh. Uh, if he were to accept this name, accept his father's name, he would have to do it by shaming himself. And that is not something that he's prepared to do. It's kind of a catch-22 for him almost. Yeah. No, John's really frustrating from a plot line pers- because it's mm-hmm. like, hell yes, become John Stark. March <laughs> south, kick That's- Bolton ass. That's exactly what I want bring, to see. Yeah, bring the north to Stannis and crush these fucking Lannisters. Like, you can do it. You can do it <laughs> right now. Yep. It's kind of like that scene in uh, the Austin Powers where his son's like, you can, I'll get, I've got a gun right here. Just shoot him in the face. Fuck your honor. How, but it's, yeah. it's also one of those Lord of the Ring things where I feel like, you know, and this is still hasn't come to fruition in Martin's good time, but this is kind of like the, the Frodo and uh, Gollum relationship. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe he should have been killed very long ago, but this person, all everyone has their own part to play. And if you get out of your lane, it's a weird thing to espouse in some kind of heroic fantasy fiction that, you shouldn't do the thing that looks like it's smart because it's weirdly against your, I don't know. I guess it is against his personal code and all that, but the whole like stay in your lane. Don't, don't stretch your boundaries or you know, trust your gut on anything is, is a weird thing to espouse. Yeah. I'm, I don't totally, I, I don't disagree with that. It, it can be frustrating. Certainly that's what we want to happen is John to go kick some ass. I, I just don't know how I feel about his character if he does that or how he'd feel about himself. Next scene, which which we kind of talked about the beginning of it with John telling Sam that he's not going to take that offer, is the voting scene for the new Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And, I, you know, there are some heartfelt speeches about who should be the new Lord Commander. And Sam nominates John, much much to his chagrin. And the other two guys had impressive resumes. They did, yeah. Hundred battles, one guy's winters, yeah. One guy's super old and has been around forever and is probably good. Uh, Alistair Thorne for his six months at last, a giant asshole, but he's a beast and a badass. Uh, and John is and pretty eyes, surprisingly popular amongst this group. Sure. Um, after Sam lays out the case, Sam does not lay out the entire case. If he were going to lay 
it all out there, he should probably have mentioned that John is turning down this great opportunity to, you know, honor the Night's Watch, honor his vows. Sam's speech was essentially, look, this guy has been a point of view character and the hero of this entire fucking series, and he's been involved in every notable set piece that happens at or about the wall, so duh. I mean, <laughs> that's like, we've gotten to see True. all this guy's stuff. Like, it's a, it's, it's a, a little... The way they've compressed this is it did seem, I don't know, a little... What would be a good... Like, a little Bad News Bears or, like, the underdog winning and probably, and we like him, so it's like... But from... I, I felt like they sh- could have done a little bit better job selling us on why the Black Brothers would feel the same way. Yeah, I... Ma- Maester Am- right. Ammon, like, I totally believe him casting deciding vote because he's always really liked... John and so did the old bear and all this other stuff and that counts for a lot but to compress it all into like 30 seconds of debate and essentially the comedy central roast of Jano Slint perpetrated by Sam Uh which was of his own making (laughs) which was quite quite good and that was a little out of character from Sam uh him to be that eloquent and funny and biting to a guy that might like if he loses his vote that's going to be bad for him but yeah. I'll allow it because it was awesome. And I, I have seen Sam's confidence building a bit That's true. as of late. It's not like he's the same old Sam. Sam the Slayer. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that he doesn't much appreciate that moniker, <laughs> but uh, it's funny nonetheless. How many other black... They, hell, they should have voted for him. How many other black brothers can say they've killed a White Walker and it's true. a Thin? It's true. Come on. But the the case he lays out is pretty good. I mean, when sure. when Alistair was incapacitated during the battle, John took over. And, you know, the fact that he saw them through that battle and that he then went to go finish the job before Stannis rolled up, I think these guys have a lot of respect for that. And I also like that the way they played uh, at the end, Sir Alistair standing up and kind of besmirching John's character with like, you want a man who fights wildings or fucks them? Yeah. And John just sat there and kind of took it. There was a little bit of um, kind of nobility and like, yeah, he could have st- stood up and be like, there's more to it than that. But I don't think he needed to. No, no, no. I I think Sam surprisingly didn't do that it, it yeah it was like surprising both of to me that he didn't shut. say something when he was the guy to bring john into it anyway and that and that but it felt appropriate and effective because if you put yourself For in john, this universe yeah. the black brothers have been debating this stuff endlessly like what do you think about the john snow guy you fucked the wild thing sure. well master amon thought it was okay and and sir alistair's kind of a cunt we don't like him anyway so yeah uh, yeah 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 all right uh so john is eventually voted new lord commander of the night's watch and Sir Alistair Thorne is, as the Miranese would say, his his reaction is <laughs> <laughs> when John looks over at him. Now, I think John is too good of a guy to get all vindictive and start to hassle Alistair the way that Alistair hassled him. I think Alistair's going to have a fine time with John as Lord Commander, whereas vice versa, it wouldn't have been. Sure. Yeah, because Sir Alistair is, the way he views his duty or the his his brother's uh, "Quote unquote brothers up there is fundamentally different from the way John viewed it, and you don't know. Yes. I mean, I like to think that he was a lot like John thirty years ago. <laughs> like you know, he's been up there for most of his life, so he probably joined as an idealistic teenager. He's just a he bitter old man now, probably the second or third son of some northern lord, 
and going to wind glory and he gets up there and there's a bunch of rapists and horse murderers and horse rapists and <laughs> horse murderers. Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, unspeakable atrocities committed against horses and Westeros. That's oh, yeah. the real hidden problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can see like, would Jon Snow be as upbeat and fresh faced 30 years from now? If it was just the same grind of riding against the wildlings and guys getting drunk and a new recruit lot that you got to train and they're a whole bunch of black wit criminals, yeah, like that that would that would wear on you. You're probably right. Probably right. Uh, Arya chops the head off a pigeon and is stopped in an alley by some scoundrels. Yeah, we'll call them that. Who want it? And she prepares to fight him, but they are scared off by the man from the House of Black and White. And then Arya follows him back there, and he reveals himself to be Jack and Hagar. Dun, dun, dun. Although, as we find out here, Jack and Hagar is not a name of a person. That is not his name. That is something else. I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. I'm not even sure if you can you even can say that. I mean, unless, yeah, he, he's just like, my name used to be Jack and Hagar. Now I'm a faceless man. Maybe he's saying that, that you need to abandon names because they have no value in this organization. Yeah, and and certainly, uh, you know, the whole idea of I we got to break you down to build you up in our image and all that stuff goes with that. But, yeah. you know, that's the cool thing about the Faceless Men is you just don't know enough about them uh, at this stage to know exactly what their game is. And, you yeah. know, if is was his name once upon a time Jack and Hagar? Uh, would he really use that as a cover name? Who cares? Because you'll probably never find out. Because right Great. now, he's nobody. Sure. Yeah, and she's about to become nobody because he invites her inside the House of Black and White. What goes on in there? I'm genuinely curious to see what you think goes on in there. <sighs> what do I think? As of right now, what goes on in the House of Black and White? I mean, it's got to be some kind of training ground for the Faceless Man. It's like a Jedi temple or something. Okay. Um... Beyond that, I'm not certain. But she's clearly going inside to learn the skills that she needs to be a faceless man. Yeah. No, it's there's so many great questions entering in this part. Like, you know, what are the faceless men? What are their skills? Are they magical? Or is this more like Mission Impossible style? But they don't give us any answers, so I don't feel very comfortable talking about those questions. No. Because we have nothing to say about them. No. But this whole, like, Arya, you know... Arya's voyage is the thing that I found most entertaining on the initial read through. Yeah. Uh, And and it's, it it holds true in the show too. Really excited to see what exactly she ends up finding behind these two doors and, and whether it follows the book or whether it's a remix or, or what. Yeah. All right. We move on to Danny. Um, I actually felt like that was a good climax. Like I was, when she walked in, I thought I was going to see the fade to black. And then we went to Marine. I'm like, Oh shit. Yep, one more big scene with Danny. She's got uh, the former slave on her advisor staff, ends up killing the son of the harpy that they caught, and she decides to have him public- publicly executed for it. Then the former slave's marine don't much like that, and they begin to riot. And then later that night, Drogon shows up at Danny's pyramid and flies off again. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about the politics of this scene and the mistakes that she's making here. Uh, I don't know how much more you want to say about this. Just my frustration that this was such a black and white issue because it's not like, like imagine if they busted in this house and it wasn't this guy, it was his father who was 
plausibly ignorant of his son's designs. Like they find the stuff there, but it's in a hidden patch. They didn't find the son. His father doesn't want to give up a son, even under Dario's questioning. What does Danny do about that? That is a much more interesting question than you found this guy yeah. hiding in a terrorist cell with, with his weapons, with his enemy uniform. Uh, he gives up the fact he's a son of the harpy, which is a, I mean, they're, the, the biggest puzzle is why the hell, what was she waiting? What kind of trial could she give him? Well, I, so I don't know that they wanted to muddy the waters with that question. Like they wanted it to be very clear that she had found someone that she was looking for and that this slave was justified in killing him, really. Because if they had muddied that but question, even then, was this slave doing the right him. thing? He killed them in a highly public way with a not sta- sanctioned uh, message of kill the masters in blood. Like, yeah. there's nothing else that Danny could have done here. And I found that frustrating because it literally took her decision. Like, there was a lot of interesting decisions. There's lots of interesting puzzles. But... You know, you could debate, like, how could she have done this better? What if she just Mm -hmm. had a private trial and had him executed and, you know, uh, have uh, the Lorax talk to his rich people, rich, rich dude buddies that, you know, and and have him get the message out that, hey, Danny means business. Would that, you know, sway things? And you can kind of blunt the message to the former slaves. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. We had someone on the forums was talking about, like, what if Danny suggested trial by combat with Sir Barristan <laughs> as her champion. Uh-huh. That would be cool. And I feel like something that like the people clearly don't get this whole, the law is the law, but they would be all about trial Obviously. by combat. Sure. It gives them a little bit of the fighting pits back. Yeah. And it would also kind of grease the wheels towards, you know, fur- furthering that plot. Yeah. Just having this black and white situation where it's obvious this guy was guilty. It's obvious this guy acted on his own and did something grossly improper and abused his power. Like, it, it, it was a little too simplistic. So I'm not clear on the laws over in Marine. Um, well, she's, she l- says I'll, the law I'll lay it is for you the law. That Danny is the law. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, well, no, she's the very, law is the law. She's very Judge Dredd that way. Judge Danny. But it, what I'm getting at here is, are they the same as in King's Landing? Could this slave request a, or this former slave request a trial by combat? That's a good question. Is that something that's even allowed over there? That's a good question. I mean, I feel uh, like... What gods do they worship? Like, I, I don't even know yeah. what the religion or law is like To me, there. that's more of a medieval thing than a religion thing. Okay. Like, the whole trial, like, whatever gods you believe in... But, but it's they based can on the outcomes, gods, right? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Whatever gods you believe in, you so believe that they would... So they all just do the trial by combat thing. Like, that's just a god thing. It's I not a think. particular god thing. It's just a higher power thing. I, I, that's just me making shit up, honestly, because I don't okay. know. I don't know. Sure. But I'm saying, like, if you were going to introduce a foreign concept of justice, that's something it seems like they understand. You mm-hmm. put two combatants in a situation. Hell, it even looks unfair because, you know, Barrison's old as hell and he's gray <laughs> and withered and they don't know that he could cut them all down like so much butter even now. Yeah. Like, that seems like a be something that even Danny could abuse. Maybe like, just so. send him to Sir Barristan, have him sort him out. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wasn't. I wasn't totally clear on what exactly the law is here, but yeah. um, ultimately, I don't think it matters. It is very black and white, like you said. It's a great scene. The whole yeah. uh, public execution and the and the, the moment before it, where she, you can tell she's questioning her action. Here. She doesn't want to do it. She doesn't, but she has to because again, she literally had to do this thing. She could either 
uh, you know, let him off, which is, you know, obviously then that, sh- I guess maybe it's not as black and white as I thought, because it's, she could just ignore what Barristan has to say. And then maybe you start thinking, well, maybe she's going down to Mad King territory. Yeah. But if Danny's going to be Danny of like the virtue, you know, kind of inexperienced well, I, but virtuous, she kind of had to do these things. And that's less interesting than I something think, more ambiguous. I think she's unintentionally going down the Mad King path here. How? Because if you listen to what Barristan said, the Mad King thought that he was doing the correct thing uh, to lead his people the entire time until the very end. Sure. He always felt justified. He always felt right until the very end. But he was doing the things that he wanted to do selfishly, which I think... He was. And this... Like, Danny wanted to let this guy go. But he wasn't showing mercy. He was ruling with this iron fist, and mm. everybody's calling out for mercy. Danny refuses that, and in my opinion, does what the Mad King would have done, which is, you know, this justice and freedom connection... Uh, just executing on that. Mm. I don't uh, know. I, I felt like it was less her, her doing. Like, yeah, she's doing the things she thinks she needs to do, but she's not being very merciful at all. Sure. Um, she's she's being a little too rigid. Yeah. Like yeah. like Barristan says. Yeah, I mean that's that seems to be a perfectly valid point of view as well. So, but I again like, yeah, I don't know, I. This is still the clunky part of the episode. It it, is, again, it was yeah. well executed because I did really like uh, her shock at how quickly the people turned on him. <laughs> I liked uh-huh. Unsullied kind of like hustling her out. And mm-hmm. then on subsequent watches, I'm like, because it was when I was first watching kind of like all, you know, this was all washing over me. I started thinking like, were the slaves, the former slaves trying to get at the the, the masters to kill them? And Dana's getting just caught up in a crossfire. But on subsequent viewings, it's very clear that, no, they were taking shots. They were pelting her they with were. lethal-sized stones. And if it wasn't for her escort of armed guards, she might not have made it out. Like, it was very... Yeah, I felt like the first shot was just bad. Like, the, yeah. the one where he throws the rock. Somebody throws a rock and hits one of the former That masters. might have been unintentional. That might have been aimed at Danny. And I think it, it was, yeah. Oh. And then when she's running off, yeah, you're right. It's clear that they're angry at her. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there is a lot of symmetries between like joffrey you know his uh trying to march through the crowds and the crowds turning on him Mm -hmm. there's also this and i don't know this is a feedback or this is something i gleaned on reddit but um if it's a feedback then i'll give you credit when we get to there but there's this also really interesting symmetry between joffrey beheading ned and danny like is like the mirror image of that hmm like this okay. is something that was like an act is supposed to be an act of mercy that he subverted because he's a prick mm-hmm. and it had disastrous results that that played out as we see them. Her was she went there to condemn a man wanting to give him mercy that had disastrous and like, you know, which it, where, where is, is her path going to end up different than Joffrey's? I hope so. Sure. <laughs> I definitely hope so. Yeah. I don't hate her nearly as much. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and that's it, other than, you know, Drogon showing up. Sure. And just flying off and her looking sad again, because she doesn't have the love of the, the former slaves anymore, it seems. She doesn't have the love of her dragons anymore. She's kind of But does uh, she? Lost. Because Drogon... Yeah, it's tough to tell with he, a dragon, right? He's like, definitely... <laughs> he's not emoting very well. <laughs> I thought he was. I mean, he looked like he was smiling. Like, the two that, that got pinned up in the pits... I was kind of debating whether they wanted to kill her or whether they're mad. I think they were frustrated. But Drogon clearly had some affection 
And then he was, uh, okay, you got close enough. Peace out, mom. You know, he's a teenage dragon and he looks fantastic. Like, yeah, yeah. It's been a good few years for dragons. We've had a lot of dragons in Harry Potter. We've had the Hobbit stuff, but this, like, there's something about the, how bristly they are. I like and it. how it's all animated so well. It's such an alien-looking thing. But it almost feels kind of like a bird, too, right? It does. Which is cool, like a reptilian type of bird. It, it feels like a, you know some sort of raptor from Jurassic Park. Yeah. And physically, I, I, I feel like it's a real... Like, it looks really real, the way it moves and flies. And it does. I can't say enough good things about it. But, um, yeah, you just... You wonder... There's still some connection here. You wonder why... Why did he come back this night of all th- things? Good like, question. Is the, the the rioting in the city attracted him? Is like death and and decay? Did he? Is there some kind of psychic distress signal he picked up from Danny, mm. implying the connection there? Um, I, I I thought it's a great in, in retrospect a great way to end the episode. If you're not going to end it with Arya going into the double doors, then this is a great place to end it. Yeah, I I don't know that they gave us enough info. To, to really make a call as to why Drogon's there, but he is. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. Hey, I want to talk about the sponsor for the podcast today, Casper uh, Casper Mattresses. You can find them at casper.com slash GOT, and you can use a promo code GOT to get $50 off your mattress. I was a little leery when we got approached for this ad because, you know, I don't want to recommend something that I haven't tried mm-hmm. and, you know, some blind referral. Like if I say that you, this is something solid, then I want it to be solid. And I, Casper said, okay, we'll send you a demo mattress. All right. So the way Matt, the way Casper is approaching the market is they see that there's a lot of money to be saved by cutting out the middleman. Uh, so that end, they do not have uh, showroom floors. There's not like a Casper store that you can go to to try this thing out. But what they will do is they'll ship this thing out to you. And like uh, I got a king size bed um, and they ship it in a box that's approximately the size of Lord Tyrion. <laughs> OK. And it's all it's shri- it's wrapped in this Tyvax pe- package to, to protect it in the shipping process. They give you this nice little unique tool that allows you to open up the package without damaging the mattress. Um, like I said, it's very it's it's compact. It weighed about seventy pounds for a king size. It's a lot easier to wrestle through a door than a conventional king size mattress. Let me tell you that oh, that yeah. is a Sisyphean task getting it up a few flights of stairs. And uh, you you get it there, you slice it open, it expands to its full size very quickly. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, in previous mattresses, I've of, of this type, the foam type mattress. You've had a lot of outgassing, a lot of like, you know, that that chemically smell that mm-hmm. we opened it up on a Friday night and left for the weekend, came back Sunday night. By the time we returned, there was zero odor at all. It's this hybrid blend technology of memory foam and latex foam that gives it, you know, because a lot I've tried memory foam mattresses before and they've always been a little too firm for me. Hmm. But this I just felt like the the. Sink is just right, and it's also cool. Another criticism of foam mattresses is they retain body heat. Yeah. But the latex seemed to solve a lot of that problem. Also, as far as manufacturing goes, this mattress is made in America. It's attractive. It's got a nice cover. Uh, it's one of the best nights of sleep I've ever had, honestly. Uh, my, I, I'm comparing it to about a seven, eight-year-old beauty rest that was replacing, mm. and it was just a noticeable immediate upgrade. The best part is... You can go to casper.com slash GOT, enter your GOT to get a $50 off card. 
or uh, offer, and you can try it for 100 days risk-free. If you don't like it, you call up their support line, you tell them, take this mattress away, they will send someone uh, to pick it up and have it recycled or donated, depending on the, the region of the country. How You can't get that from another mattress place. No, uh, that's super important considering they don't have locations to test them out. And that's super smart. I yeah. was very impressed by the whole packaging and the, the whole experience and the product itself. Uh, I'm a big believer. Uh, I was in the market for a new mattress anyway. I'm actually going to get one for my son. He's graduating from a little boy bed to a big boy bed. Mm-hmm. Going to pull the trigger on a Casper because it's mm-hmm. just really high quality. They're priced anywhere from 500 for a twin up to 950 for a king-size mattress. That blows away the price points about any other mattress, <laughs> uh-huh. especially for the quality. So I would definitely encourage Bald Move listeners, if you're in the mat- uh, market for a mattress, definitely consider this. And you can go uh, you know, look for Casper reviews online, uh, a lot of unboxing videos if you want to get an idea of the size we're talking about. But it's it's a great night's sleep. And uh, I think we got another promo coming, so I'll be able to update after a few more weeks of, of use of it, but I'm mm-hmm. very impressed with it. So right. how do they get that? Go to casper.com slash GOT and enter the promo code GOT. They get $50 off the already incredible price. Let's get the feedback. Okay. Let us get the feedback. Uh, B Fitz wrote in, uh, says, I'm sure you have an opinion on organized religion based on your backgrounds. So I'd love to hear you discuss <laughs> the rising militant spirals in Westeros and what it uh, what is to become of it regarding Cersei, for instance? The rising military what? The rising militant sparrows. Oh, the sparrows. Okay. Uh, as we know, the war of the five kings caused great devastation to the common people. When the majority of a population is starving and hopeless, they often turn to radical religion in order to get through their par- their struggles. Today sucks, but afterlife will bring paradise. It's made worse by witnessing the nobles enjoy their twenty course dinners and decadent splendor. Do you think comparisons of the Sparrows and Westeros, and the Slaves and Volantis for that matter, uh, can be made to the oil-rich families of the Middle East today and the angry, radical Islamic sects in their mists? Hmm. You know, I never really thought of that as a comparison until uh, Fitz here sent it into us. And I'm hesitant to talk about it because I feel like I'm fairly well-informed with as far as the Middle East politics, but I feel like me commentating would be very ignorant. Certainly, I, I feel that way. That, that was my first thought is I don't know enough about the Middle East politics and foreign relations, period, to speak intelligently on that. So I'd rather not muddy those waters. Uh, but if that's what you're reading into it, you know, th- that's what movies and TV are for. Sure. For you to frame your experiences and learn lessons from that. And I don't know. That's, that's a fine thing to do. No, it's interesting because... You know, there seems to be kind of like a rise of what I would consider radical religion in the United States right now. Okay. Hmm. And it doesn't seem to be because things are going particularly badly. I mean, like the economy is not as great and we've had a couple wars and stuff, but it's it's not like an existential crisis that would provoke yeah. um, kind of the militant religion some of the re- religious movements we've seen yeah we don't have the fucking zapatistas here yeah yeah, yeah. thing like that you know so it's like i that kind of puts a an interesting wrinkle and maybe that's like uh like a more of a cultural thing that things like if you look at it from the uh, that that cultural aspect that things are going very badly for them as far as the way you know, just the, the the morals of the country are going, and and they're reacting from that, not from an existential crisis, but this like 
this is our way of life and we don't like it. So we're kind of circling the wagons. Yeah. But that doesn't really apply to Westeros because that would be, you know, more of a like a World War One model where like the whole country is plunged in war and everyone dies and it's terrible. But it seems like from my recollections that Europe kind of moved away from religion because of those experiences. Yeah, they certainly rather have, than yeah, towards at this it. Point. So I don't I mean, it feels like making any kind of historical parallels is really difficult because I don't think that f- that's what Martin's trying to do. Hmm. Okay. So anyway, uh, moving on to Alex in San Diego said Danny made a huge mistake and beheading that guy publicly. It's just like that fight against terror, just like the fight against terrorism. Boy, everybody else wants to make this comparison. They do. They really like it. (laughs) For every terrorist you kill, you create a dozen more. You can try to kill every person against your rule, but you cannot kill an idea. I think the sons of the hype, uh, hype, wait, sons of the harpy will continue to cause trouble for Danny and Tyrion will arrive just in time to broker a peace deal. Man, I hope so. That would be nice because she could use again. We like Sir Barristan, mm-hmm. but he is not a statesman. No, he is a warrior. He he doesn't know how to lead a nation. Do you? It, it's going to be so. There might be some interesting friction between Selmy and Tyrion. Could be because he thinks he knows what's right for, and this guy's a Lannister, and that's the, the Lannister key. boy dismissed him from service for, you know, for no, no fault of his own. So he might, yeah. there might be some personal clashes left between them. There's going to be a lot of distrust there. I mean, really, really Tyrion's going to come over here now. And, and you know, he's going to come like some drunken asshole. Of course. Just bitter as hell. And like, uh-huh. even if he's smart, he's going to be saying a lot of things like, yeah, you shouldn't have killed this guy publicly. That was a stupid move, Danny. Yeah. What she sees as being just and right. So uh, it, I feel like she's changing her tune, though, right? Like the things that she thinks she knows are all being brought into question. Yeah, but is she changing? I don't know that. I, I don't know that she's changing, but she's at least starting to acknowledge that, hmm, maybe I don't have a great grasp on this. Uh, Alex continues on to the wall. I think Sir Alistair is feeling some type of way in quotes about not being named Lord Commander by his merit and his bravery. He deserved it, but so did Jon Snow. I think he made the right decision uh, to elect. I think they made the right decision to elect Jon Snow. Yeah. Jano sides with Alistair and I don't think he respects uh, Jon. He's a coward, though, and I hope Jon ships him off to another castle on the wall. His knowledge is valuable. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) but in battle, you may as well uh, not even have him. He can still be used on the wall, and I hope they find some way to redeem the character. What do you think about this thing? I don't thing care with... about Janos. Like, really? Yeah, ship him away. He's a coward. Uh, he he may talk a good game, but he doesn't show it when it comes down to right down to it. So, yeah, he's he's useless to the Night's Watch, I think. All right. He, he's a... I don't know, man. He's, he's he lines himself behind Alistair and thinks, like, yeah, I'm going to get ahead by supporting the guy who's... Which, obviously going to win that's this. what worked in king's landing it did it does it, i'm but, not saying it doesn't work but it's it's not a noble or no. heroic thing to do no there's no there to get here <laughs> that's also true you yeah. know it's like you're not gonna <laughs> line your pockets with gold or get lands or holdings nope. and knights watches right there in the charter it's right yeah. there in the charter i mean maybe you can get the best you mul- can hope for is a good assignment right you, you can, yeah you could get a bearskin rug and your Quarters carved from a block of ice and the prettiest whore in Molestown. And not emptying which, the latrines. Like, yeah. That's about it. Yeah. This is not where you go to be a selfish power consolidating asshole. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Hef. He said, I like to play the name game for us. And he's got some solid ones that then 
devolve a bit. Uh, as they do. The House of yeah. Black and White, as, as is a bald move tradition. Uh, one, Arya arrives at the literal House of Black and White, Come Bravo's on. premier bed and breakfast. Yep. Pretty, pretty obvious. Two, Danny in her white dress, which reminded me of a swan confronting the black dragon Drogon. Hmm. I, that's a fantastic dress, too. That's like one of the best looking dresses I've seen on Game of Thrones. It was simple okay. and it was like the white and it kind of looked like dragon scales. Three, Barrison's reminder to Danny that justice is not always black and white. Although in this fucking episode, it was. <laughs> the Black Brothers choosing Jon Snow uh, white as Lord Commander. Uh, okay. All right. Still pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Let's take another step further. Sir Jamie, commander of the Kingsguard, white cloaks teaming up with Braun of the Blackwater. Mm. Is is there like an official white cloaks name? Yeah, that's what for, they call it. They, they are? You got okay. the gold cloaks. Which All right. Are the I'll allow police. it. You'll allow I'll it. Allow All right. It. Mm-hmm. A uh, little, little, little step further out on the uh, on the plank, Sansa's complexion in contrast with her new hair and wardrobe. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And they, that, that's where I cut off. There was like three others that got yeah, yeah. increasingly silly. But thank you for that. There was at least five solid allowed by Jim. David J said, "With all these witnesses in earshot, why did Peter Baelish openly acknowledge that he was transporting Sansa Stark?" Sure. Little. Littlefinger wouldn't have been able to convince Brienne otherwise, but now all of his guards and other people at the tavern know Sansa's real identity, a suspected king poisoner sought by the crown. Does anything about what he did make sense, or was it just to move the plot along quicker? Well, you're assuming that Littlefinger doesn't have everyone in that tavern killed. <laughs> like, I'm I'm not... He just orders a tactical nuke strike and... Ends wiped off the planet. The planet. Uh, no, well, no, he has his. You know how many knights chased after them? Three? A lot. Like there, he's I think got like ten. There's at least ten, according to Podrick, yeah. whose strong suit's not counting. I'm sure. But. So you know, five of them just rampage through that place, and then yeah, and then they ride off. I mean, that's the thing. They they make it very clear that a, uh, an armored, an armed and armored knight can just plow through any good number of peasants. Oh yeah. Like if you if all you have is a dagger or you got a shitty steel you got a shitty sword you're you're a dead man against these guys. Mm-hmm. So I could I could totally see Littlefinger just having everyone there killed and moving on. It does seem even as a book reader, and again, this plot is completely beyond you know they're in the here be dragons part of the map of this plot. Mm-hmm. It all it really struck me as funny how open he was about. Oh yeah, this is Sansa Stark. He completely dropped that ruse. Of her being his, you know, bastard daughter. So yeah, I mean, he can't really make that claim with Brienne, right? <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. But the fact that but he does he, say it out loud, yeah, he had he had given it up to the Lords of the Vale, and it just doesn't seem to be that big of a secret to him. So yeah, I sure. would say that it's probably just to move the plot along quicker, and hopefully it'll make sense in in context when you look back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter S. said, do you think the Titan of Bravos is anatomically correct? Does everyone who sails into Bravos have a look at his junk? <laughs> He's not wearing anything under there. He's just freeballing it. Well, my headcanon says there's a whole troop of Bravosi mummers that have like some elaborate like Chinese acrobat deal where it's like a 30 man dong that like they're all linked and chained together and they do like, you know, prehensile stunts and trapeze and they swing from one testicle uh, you can't not say testicle testicle to another it's it's like a little show it's a little show that lets you know (laughs) what bravos is all about 
show to let you know who cleans that thing that's what i want to know it's part of you know an undertaking that that's part of the prehensile nature of the 30-man bravosi dong (laughs) i'm not even not talking necessarily about cleaning the dong i'm talking about underskirt area is well cleaned it's like they're just like a you know a human swiffer they swirl all around there all the time okay uh michael p said this and this is the always sunny reference which i don't get because i'm i've only seen about half the series because mac charlie dennis and frank have finally settled their argument. Jack and Hagar definitely does the best example of blackface. <laughs> okay, sure. Watch the Lethal Weapon episodes. Oh, shit. That's um, the one. Because I have actually seen that one. I still didn't get the reference. Yeah. That was yeah. actually the so second. A, you watched the second one, didn't you? Here's what happened. Yes. Because there's a Lethal Weapon 5, and then there's a Lethal Weapon 6. Because you fucking made me watch the show, and I saw the first one was the Dayman Night Nightman episode. Excellent And then episode. the second one was the second Lethal Weapon 6 or whatever. Okay. So there's a if rough introduction the to the mythos. One, yeah, if you watch the first one, it'll explain all that. Okay. <laughs> Can't and, wait. And why they switch characters between shots sometimes <laughs> they needed jack and hagar apparently uh-huh. alexander c said the delightful and surprising return of Braun has me wondering where some other characters are where's jorah mormont will we ever hear from beric dandarian and his merry band of neutral men will edmure Tur- tully ever finish having sex with his new bride to discover the carnage in the ballroom also we never hear anything about the boltons in winterfell and their struggles to rule a north that hates them hmm. you wondering about that as well jim I'm only wondering about Jorah. Those mm. other ones, meh, whatever. I'm kind of cu- curious to see what the whole point with the Beric Dondarrion arc was. I don't even remember that arc. That's the guy who was brought back to life several times, tried to kill the Hound in single combat, and he was unable to. Okay. Yeah. I know. It's, I, all, it's all religion and magic. It's it's not exactly <laughs> your in your wheelhouse. Yeah, but the Jorah stuff... Like I've been, I've been saying for a while, he's got to come back in some capacity. Kind of surprised in two episodes in, we haven't touched on the Boltons. Yeah, because they're the major I think, power. Judging the by North. the previews for next week, we are. Oh, wow! Ooh, some spoiler material. Uh, the excuse Varys gave for his dislike of Sansa or Stannis was Stannis's embrace of Melisandre and her magic. Mm. Varys claims to hate magic because of the necromancer who chopped off his twig and berries. Mm. His sex romancer. Okay. But perhaps uh, the critiques of Stannis was just an excuse to cover his Targaryen loyalties. How else do you explain that from the very beginning he was scheming with Illyrio to bring Daenerys back onto the throne, despite the fact that her claim is premised on her magical survival of a knight in the fire with her dragon eggs? Maybe he's like me, and he's like, thumbs up dragons, thumbs down magic. I was going to say, I think both can be true. He has a baseline hatred of magic, and he's also a Targaryen loyalist. Okay. Because I think that would put you off. Someone coming and cutting your your penis and testicles off and throwing them in a fire, that puts you off magic. Yeah, I think so. so. <laughs> or really anything that is the cause for that. Put you off women? It puts you off a lot of things. It, it puts you off a deep masculine voice and uh, <laughs> body hair. A lot of things. Uh-huh. Uh, the whole Mance Raider story strikes me as uncomfortably white western hero orientalism the free folk never embraced any ruler then suddenly some white guy a night's watch veteran no less shows up and they embrace him as king uh what did you think of that angle what's that the the john snow no the, the man's raider there's oh, there's oh, a lot yeah, yeah, of yeah. there is you well, know i'm not insensitive to this like you're saying suddenly but i don't think it is suddenly yeah john makes the point that he has been his entire life working toward this goal we're talking about Mance Raider, not Jon Snow. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mance sure. Raider has been building this coalition. His yeah, he whole didn't show life. up and it's like, oh my God, look at this guy. And they all followed him. Presumably there was a lot of trials and tribulation, and he, through sheer force of will and hard work, united these clans against the reality that winter is coming. And so are the White Walkers, it appears. So I mean, I think if you're gonna talk about you know, white savior stuff, you can talk about it in context of Danny. Sure. And much we more did e- much in, more easily, yeah. We did in in uh, the end of season three, the whole, you know, and I I feel like they've taken that to heart because if you've noticed, uh it's a very, very mixed mixed collection of people in both the upper class and lower class of Marine. Yeah. Seems like, like there's just all all shades of the rainbow there. So it feels like they have tried to blunt that criticism somewhat. Uh, let's move on to the fourth point. Given the technological limits of the time, how did they build that huge statue in Bravos? <laughs> Money. Money can move mountains, man. Yeah, I mean, like, there is the real-life Colossus of Rhodes, which is not like it was commonly predicted or, you know, depicted uh, of, like, you know... I mean, the mythical depiction of the Colossus of Rhodes was a lot like this statue of Bravos. Yeah. So I feel like that in a world where they built a wall about, you know, 7,000 years ago or whatever, and they built all these other like, you know, Winterfell with its glass gardens and its geothermal heating and like all all these other things. Like in the books, they hand wave this as to like there's this age of heroes and they were like, you know, super badasses and they had some children of the forest magic and there you go. So apply dragon slash tree magic to every yep. problem you come up with and yep. <laughs> and look at Westeros squinting through like, you know, uh rose colored tinted uh tinted lenses at our own past, like you know, the Greek and Roman history. Sure. And there there's where you end up. Uh Janine S uh says has some thoughts. First on the wall. This plot felt too rushed for me. I like the stuff with the sh- uh, Shireen and Gilly and her mommy dearest, but the whole John Stannis Lord Commander plot felt rushed. There wasn't enough drama in John's nomination for Lord Commander. I'd have dragged it out another episode and maybe make us really hate Thorn and Slint. Set up some conflict among the brothers of the Night's Watch as to who they choose. Heck, introduce us to Sir Dennis Malister. Make it seem who's the commander of the other tower. Make it seem like Sam really pulled off something by nominating John. I agree with that part. I yeah. don't think we needed to hate Thorn and Slint anymore. No, I totally hate Alistair. And Slint is the guy who betrayed John, or, uh, John's yeah. father. So I hate these guys plenty, but I'm with you. I could have seen some scenes of some internal debate amongst the Black Brothers. One problem with that is mm-hmm. they killed off a lot of the Black Brothers we had kind of like a personal interest in last 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 year. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else does she say? Uh, on to the Marine topic. The pacing of this was somewhat off to her, she says. I liked the concept, but again, I felt like it was too rushed. The only part I liked was Drogon coming back, but not letting her touch him. I wonder if he... She also wonders if he can hear his brothers down in the cave. Hmm. Do you think that... So him landing there was like, hey, hey, you need to get my bros out of this cave. Yeah, like what... You know, they call... She calls him them her children but what is their relationship amongst each other and to her and how much are we just anthropomizing this guy fair question it doesn't seem like their relationship is very good at the moment Mm. Uh, i bet those dragons would like to be out and about and they're probably a little bit bitter i I don't know assuming dragons even give a shit about that kind of stuff sure like 
ultimately, if you live hundreds and hundreds of years, what what the fuck is a couple days in a cave to you, right? No, it's like what they <laughs> it's like what veterinarians say about crating your dog. Like it always seems to me like if you take if you if you leave for the day, uh, and you put your dog in a crate, it seems cruel because they're just sitting in a box, Tyrion style, for like all day and potentially into the evening. But every vet I ever say is like, no, that's actually better. They feel more secure and safe. And the reason they act out and tear up shit in your home when you leave them is because they're stressed out and anxious. So hmm. what the fuck do, do we know? We, you know, dragons are not humans and neither are dogs. Sure. Much as that is controversial to say. <laughs> uh, she goes, I guess the whole segment shows that one man's terrorist is indeed another man's freedom fighter. But where does it end? Regardless of where the ruler, whoever he or she is, loses no matter what is done. An interesting paradox to explore, but again, a little patchy to me. Not sure how to fix it. Again, maybe slowing it down just a tad in the beginning, uh, introducing some more exposition. I, I don't know if that would fix it. No, I was perfectly clear on the decision she needed to make and what the options yeah. were and why she made the decision she did. It's that, just it felt a little rushed with the reaction of the people and and those sorts of things. And that was the problem for me, too. But, like, but I, I've I mostly already said enough about it. Um, so, yeah, we can just move on. Uh, Devin eight said, first off, I know we've seen Bravos and Marine before, but I love how much more grander in scale they feel, feel the season. I'm glad to know they're spending even more time, effort and money showing us more and more of the world. When let's face it, they really don't have to, they've could have kept the same sets, locations and CGI set pieces at the same scale as last season. And everyone would have been fine with it. Then it would have been great, but I love how enormous they've made it, especially Bravos. That place feels absolutely huge, not just from the CGI establishing shot, but even just exploring around the city. There's one shot in particular where Arya is waiting outside the house of black and white where you can see far off into the distance across the water and there's a village out in the forest beyond. Little things like that add so much depth to the world and CGI is amazing as always. I That's the thing I was talking about looking at like seasons one and two and how kind of small the sets felt in comparison. And mm-hmm. at the time, it still felt like bigger than we'd ever seen before. Yeah. But they just keep gilding the lily. Hard to argue with that. Regarding Danny, I know people are anxious to see her fly off the Westeros, but I'm with Jim on this one. I actually prefer to see her in Essos and the drama and the story she's been given. I also like seeing the moral dilemmas and stressful situations she has to handle. Also, her going to Westeros at this point just doesn't make sense. I feel like Danny wouldn't even be content with just abandoning the people of Slaver's Bay to go take the throne, and she cares way too much about these people, much more than she cares about the Iron Throne. If she were to go to Westeros, I don't think she would do it without designating someone she trusts to rule her absence. And I think she would want to include her people from Essos in her rule from the Iron Throne, our, Tar- our Targaryen empire of sorts that spans both continents, provided the dragons don't ruin everything, of course. <laughs> Do you think we're going for a grand unified Targaryen empire? That'd be interesting. You know what might be cool is uh, Daenerys over in Westeros at King's Landing on the throne and Tyrion ruling things over on the, the Lord of the West, the other Lord side of the, of the East. Sea. Yeah. Yeah. That could be cool. See a dragon blowing fire up to the Titan's skirts. <laughs> Why not? Completely incinerating those poor know, those... 30 mummers, man. Yeah. All they were trying to do. Yeah, they were trying to just clean it. Is give people a thrill. And give them a show. Yep. Uh, I'll admit I did. Oh, wait, Matt E says, I'll admit I didn't go back and review the season four episode to make sure this hasn't been answered. But aren't the other two dragons chained underground basically trapped there? Yes. If they're getting to be as big as Drogon, how the hell would they ever get out of that little man-sized door? So they're not. One, they're not as big as Drogon. Drogon was clearly much bigger than them previously. And, and he always has been. They've yeah. made it a point of he's been the, you know. But you're right. They are still the big black dragon. <laughs> yeah. 
definitely. Uh, but they're definitely still in that cave. So, but I also think that this isn't like a cave. This is uh, in the books. They make it clear, and I think they might have mentioned this in the show that they're actually chained in the catacombs below one of the big fighting pits of Marine. Huh. So if you okay. think of in terms like if you've ever been to the Coliseum or you've seen pictures of it. Uh, like me, I've never fucking been to the Coliseum. Sure, They're, that those things are extensive. I've played, and I've played in it in video games. There you go. <laughs> so you're you're more than qualified to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know these things were designed back in the day to hold like to let elephants mm-hmm. and rhinos and giraffes in and that. So I feel like that there's probably other entrances where you know maybe they moved big game like you know whatever the Westerosi equivalent of a rhino or a, an elephant is. Uh, through or like bulk, like big crates and stuff. So I don't, I wouldn't have a problem with them, uh, being able to get out or even like these are big, strong creatures. They get the size of Drogon. I see them just like monster trucking out one of these walls because <laughs> they're again they're underground, but it's not like they're in a cave, hundreds of meters of solid rock. Like yeah, someone constructed this and then put a support system over it. So I feel like a dragon. It's within their power to just bust through that if they needed to probably all right dan from manchester says every time we see a scene between Tyrion and Varys, i immediately begin imagining a pilot for a half-hour sitcom about an old gay married couple who have become bitter about the relationship over the years if the jobs dry up after the thrones uh series is over perhaps dinklage and hill would be interested i'm sure you could both come up with a good title for the show something better than bald and chain anyway (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that's pretty good uh Oh, man, I forgot. I actually did brainstorm about this a little bit, and I've forgotten them all. But I didn't come up with anything better than Bald and Chain. No, I like that one. That's pretty good. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, with Arya joining the League of Shadows and Mosador, which I think is the name of the slave that got killed in this episode, or the former slave, sacrificing himself to save the city from a group of masked vigilantes, Game of Thrones has suddenly gone very Nolan's Batman. It seems to have worked out rather well for the masked rebels. Wasn't it all, was it all set up from the very start? When there was uh, one of their own was found, is it possible that uh, Dario Naharis, being the one who found the man and executed Musador, is working with the group and knew that these events would turn the city against Daenerys? Is this a big conspiracy, Jim? Man, I can't imagine that. It seems like Dario is firmly on the side of Daenerys. It seems like he's in love with her. Yes. That they've set up since season three. I can't imagine a scenario in which he is involved in any kind of conspiracy to bring her down. Uh, at, certainly at this point. Which knowing Germ means it's inevitable. Probably so. <laughs> he successfully I just, I just want to know what color he's going to use to describe that scene. What? The one where Dario eventually turns on on uh, Daenerys. It's going to have to be like the green wedding. I don't even know. Oh, we're running out of color. Yeah, we're running yeah. out of crayons for weddings here. Yeah. We are. Chartreuse. <laughs> a periwinkle. Uh-huh. He's a periwinkle, sure. Uh, Josh K said, I listened to the instant cast and Aaron seemed to touch on what I was feeling. I liked the episode, I guess, but whereas I used to love the ambiguity and mystery, I felt like things are becoming very on the nose. Instead of good guys doing bad and bad guys doing good, the show felt a little flatter and more paint by the numbers. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it is a little less deep, uh, a lot less deep than the books. And it's never been a problem before, but it was a little bit of a problem, especially the Danny thing, but we've already talked mm. about that. Yeah. Any additional thoughts? Nope. Also, if Daenerys believes so much in the law, why doesn't she just appoint judges or a justice counselor or something? <laughs> Instead, she makes herself both judge, jury, and executioner. I know that trial by a jury is probably too much of a modern concept for the show, 
but a circle of elders or something fantasy-ish seems reasonable and more in line with her professed beliefs. Is that telling us something that maybe she should have some kind of parliamentary system set up, but she is still wanting to be the queen? It's interesting. Yeah, she is acting far more like a queen. Uh, and we do know the queen's rule. <laughs> yeah, she's just inexperienced. I don't. Yeah, she's a little girl. She has people around her advising her, but I'm not sure why she wants to make all the decisions herself. It seems like it would be a good thing. Maybe she's just afraid that no one else will be able to, I don't know, see these slaves, these former slaves in the capacity that she does and have the same compassion and caring about them. Like if she were to appoint a council, maybe they would just, you know, turn into people who cared more for their own power and themselves. Which is a fairly patronizing view of things, but it's it also is. not completely out of character. Yeah, I mean, she had to, she had to come in and bust things like that up. So yeah. I don't, maybe that's it, but you're right. It, it's It's a little naive of her to think that she is good enough at this to just be the queen and be altruistic and awesome. She might also not hand, be able to handle the idea if someone makes a decision that goes badly and people die. Like, at least she made that decision. If someone else did, then she would feel bad for shirking responsibility. Maybe so. Uh, moving on to Sander P. I wanted to give my opinion on Danny's beheading scene. I don't think the scene was written poorly. I think we just need to get inside the slave's head to understand that scene. If I were a freed slave, I would see Danny as some goddess who would come to save us. I would think that she was on our side. If I'd been a slave all my life, I would think that justice was siding with the slaves to rectify our lifetime of oppression. Mm -hmm. Watching Danny behead our slave spokesman would be probably shocking, and I would get into the mob mentality hissing game too, and I would probably feel betrayed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just... I I don't know exactly how they would feel, because another valid way to look at that was... Like, thanks for give you know, thanks for helping us out in this circumstance, but we've got it from here. Like, <laughs> we needed to be freed from our situation, but we don't necessarily need to be ruled by a foreign power. And it feels like that's mm. kind of where things are going. Like, you're not bit. our, you know, you 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 helped us out, but you know, yeah, you you freed us. Now let us be free. Yeah, that like, sort of thing. <laughs> and the whole like, you can see this whole Misa brother, you know, this this calling them her children and they are her mother, that is already, you know, it's not patriarchal, it's matriarchal, but it's not a balance of power. It's not really a free type of relationship. And maybe they're realizing that. We have another Jim on this podcast. It's Jim H. He says, while it seemed pretty obvious that the man behind the mask is going to be Jack and Hagar, for the briefest of seconds, I hoped beyond hope we are going to see the return of Serio Pharrell. That is, if you don't recall, Arya's water dancer Uh trainer. What do you think are the chances that my favorite character will have an equally surprising return? No spoilers, please. If there is any book knowledge on the subject, I've only read the first two so far. I'll say that his ultimate fate is equally ambiguous in the first book, if not more so compared to the show. Oh, if I had (laughs) book knowledge on this subject. Well, I don't. So let me talk about it for a second. Sure. His death is... So if you believe that he died in that scene, he certainly mm. died off screen. Sure. And we know that off screen deaths are not always deaths. And oftentimes they're designed for us to be surprised when the character comes back. And shit, in this show, sometimes on screen deaths are not really deaths. In the case of Barak, that one Barak Dondarian. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely like to see him come back. Maybe once 
Arya has gone a little further down this road of becoming a faceless man. And maybe that creates a conflict between those two. Sure. Like he discovers what she has become. He doesn't like it. Something like that. And now she, she has to, you know, Luke Skywalker up and fight Darth Vader here. Sure. Uh, I think that might be cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the... <laughs> I know you can't say much no. about it, probably. I, I mean, one of the hobbies of the book readers in between books, which has been a while, is debate, like, hidden personas of different people. And the show kind of invites you to do that with the faceless men and people being resurrected and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, like, a lot of debate rages on the identities of a lot of people. And what you need to do, Jim is uh, read those last three books and then start Googling. Okay, I'll get on it. Not no, you, man, Jim H. Oh, okay. <laughs> man, I I I'm really hate that I can't do any freaking research on this show. I, you really like, can't. I can't Google a goddamn thing, no, otherwise I'm going to be spoiled. You're right. That's so, wise like, of you. All the shit that comes out of my mouth is literally just coming out of my head. That's cool. I think that's what that's what we're looking for. We I like, guess. We like to laugh up our sleeves as book readers. Although we you do, you do. We are you? we. There's a lot of laughter uh, on the other stick. <laughs> uh-huh. On the other hand, to coming from the, the other, Lord yeah, commander. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of lot of uh, uncertainty and fear and doubt in, in our eyes this season. Yeah, yeah. Inverim, final one says, "Am I the only one who got goosebumps when Stannis said he would legitimize John when the camera closed in on him? His mm-hmm. face lit up and the heroic theme started to play in the background. It made my body hair rise up." Mm. just to see him feel accepted and wanted for the first time in his life. From that split second, he had a sense of belonging. I must confess, John is my favorite character in the show, ever since the scene in season one where he told Sam the reason he chose to say a virgin was because he didn't wish the fate of being a bastard on anyone. His plot line has not been huh. the strongest, but ever since the end of last season and up through the first couple of episodes, it has picked up speed and made up a lot of ground. He's the closest thing to a hero in the show, and I'm curious to see what lies ahead for him. I shipped John and Danny together from very early in the series, and seeing how some of these storylines are now finally converging, I'm hoping for these two to get together. Wait, wait, wait. Where is Danny and John converging? Uh, I I can't imagine that happening. Well, if you subscribe to the theory that she's going to return to Westeros someday, yeah, and you I subscribe mean, I guess to the fact that up... John is also going to be an important character. Okay, if they end up lip-locking in the throne room, I guess. do not forget, this is the saga of a song of ice and fire. There's a lot of people. Ice, Jon Snow, no, sure. fire, Daenerys yeah. Targaryen. It's it's not crazy. No, I, I get it. It's just... To say that the show is starting to converge those storylines is crazy to me. I, that, I, I don't think that the show has hinted at that at all. I don't... So, do you think that it's possible... That Jon Snow's rise of Lord Commander dealing with the problems of the Night's Watch and Stannis and the Wildlings are not unlike what Danny is going through in Marine. I mean, they're not totally unlike that. It's I just, think that's what he's saying to Convergence is you're starting to that see there are some parallels in their storylines. Yes. Where okay. They would have a lot to talk together if I they think ever that's, met. That's fair. I don't know that they're, they've made any movement toward bringing those characters together physically. But he's a shipper. He's, okay. he's reading the tea leaves. You're right. Man. You're right. You gotta you gotta throw some. A lot of stuff goes out the window when you become a shipper. Have you seen inverse <laughs> fan fiction? It's pretty oh. disturbing. Ooh, yeah. That's the thing. Like I, you know, you Google it up and you see what mm-hmm. he's got. Unspeakable things with dragons. Oh yeah, I mean, Jon Snow in those stories has a dragon tail. He can shoot <laughs> fire, and you don't want to know what he uses it for. Sure. Uh, you don't deserve that inver. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for writing. I'm just in. not seeing it. We'll yeah, see no, it. that's that's fair because I, I do think that you have to kind of squint. But I, 
this is something I just actually put together. We're talking about it. There is a lot of parallels between what John's doing up at the wall and what Danny's trying to do in Marine. You're right. And I think that if one were to come to the other shores and they got hurt, they, they got wind of that, that would be kind of interesting. And again, I'm not, that's shit's never happened in the book so far. So hell one or both of them can be dead. In fact, if sure, I got to put enough smoke screen of that. Yes, yes. Um, anyway, if you'd like to send an email, you can do so to this show at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can also fo- uh, join, in to per- join in to participate on our threads on Facebook, or I'm sorry, not Facebook, at forums.baldmove.com. The cool thing about our forums is we have separate threads for show watchers and for book reader spoiler guys. So you can check that out. Uh, we won't have the spoiler section today that's going to come out each Friday around noon to give me a little extra time to consider the feedback and come up the tinfoil section. So if you missed that last week, check your feed. Uh, it's definitely there, released on last Friday. So mm-hmm. uh, you can also follow our release schedule on facebook.com slash baldmove and over on Twitter at baldmove. You know, one one other big thing they can do for us, iTunes review. We haven't asked for those in a long time, but that seriously does help a lot. Yeah, yeah, it would, because, you know, every time you have a new season, you're kind of blowing the dust off the thread. A couple of recent uh, iTunes reviews, if you don't support us in any other way, that would be super helpful. Definitely. All Let's right. Let's claw our way to the top of the pyramid that is iTunes. <laughs> uh, that's it. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week. Uh, if if you're not a spoiler guy, we'll we'll be back next week right after the episode. Uh, if you are, like Aaron said, check it out Friday. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya.